Hey, Megan Mooney. So let me just give you guys a little bit of insight what happens each week. Um, I start working on the next sermon Sunday afternoon when I get home from church because I'm so fired up from having time with you guys, and I mean that. I go through and I try to pick out some ideas from the passage. And then I put it on an on a online drive, and Megan starts looking at it Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. She starts thinking through the songs. When she picks these songs, it's not just random like, oh, I like that one, I don't like that one, that one sounds good, we do that one well. The first thing she does is, what is the message about? And she starts selecting the music that goes along with the passage and the concepts we're teaching. So I want you to know, there's a lot of work that goes into that, and I really do appreciate the job the band does in cohesively helping us worship. I mean, it's easy for a band just to pick the songs, that, like the 10 songs they do the best and rotate them and sound great every week. They sound great every week and pick songs based upon the scripture, which means a lot. So my name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're talking about uh, uh, the next passage in uh, Psalm 119, Ayin. And it's called, this message is called the Cosigner. This is lesson 16 in the series. So let me explain about cosigning. I hear a lot of giggling out there about cosigning. <laughs> so cosigning for someone is agreeing to pay a debt that they incur in case they're not able to pay it. So the question is, how do you feel about cosigning for someone? What would it require for you to be comfortable to cosign on a loan for someone? Would they need to be close friends at least or family? Would you co-sign for an stranger? Maybe a person you'd met a couple times. I actually had someone call me this morning at 7 o'clock this morning. I don't know how they got my number. They asked if I would co-sign on a lease. I said, sure, no problem. <laughs> Just kidding, honey. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But that's a true story. Have you ever had somebody co-sign for you? How did it make you feel when they put their name on that line saying, if this person can't make good, I got them? If you have had someone co-sign for you, did you make good on it? Or did you fail to meet the obligations? So in my life, there's only been one person that was ever willing to be a co-signer for me on a debt. Just one. It was my grandfather. I was 18 and seven months. And he agreed to be surety for me, to co-sign for me, for my first car loan. It was a brand new 1986 Shelby Charger. I got so many tickets in that thing. But every time I read this verse this week, and I'll read a passage probably about 40 times as I'm going through it, you know, trying to get the sermon together. Every time I read it, I remembered my grandfather. He died when I was young, like 20. But every time I read this, I thought of him. So let's read the passage today about co-signing. And that's kind of what the psalmist is talking about, the idea of somebody putting their name on a signature line for you. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. That's... That's the word co-signing, surety. Give your servant surety. Let not the insolent oppress me. 
My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. So let's look at the historical part of this. There's an odd confidence that the psalmist David has as he writes this, right? The first thing he says is, I have done what is just and right. Do not lead me to my oppressors. Give your servant surety, co-sign for me. Give me a pledge of good and let not the insolent oppress me. There's some words I want to look at that, uh, first of all. The word is uh, mishpat. It means a judiciary verdict. It's a legal concept. He says, I have done what is just and right. The idea of the word just is, I am okay by the law. By the law of Moses, I'm good. Hmm. Wasn't he a murderer? And an adulterer? And a liar? But yet he says, I've done just. The next word, sedek, that which is right morally. So he says, I am right legally, and I am right morally. This adulterer, this murderer, this wife of many women, I am just, and I am moral. Then there's another word, he says, be a pledge for good. It's the word arab. To co-sign or be surety, to undertake financial responsibility. He starts off by saying, I'm just according to the law, and I'm right according to morality. By the way, be surety for me, co-sign for me, for good, for righteousness. I mean, the psalmist shows this incredible, ridiculous confidence in his standing before the law and before morality. He declares that his life is characterized by just and right actions. How in the world could David feel this way? Seeing as how he knew he was a liar, he knew he was an adulterer, he knew he was a murderer, yet somehow he says, I'm just and I'm right, be a pledge of good for me. The reason is, is because he knew that his just and right standing his confidence regarding judgment was tied to God, not himself. He says, give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. David asked this murderer, adulterer, liar. He asked the God of the universe to be his co-signer for righteousness. When it comes down to it, God, and I finally get judged for all the crap I've done, I'm asking you to co-sign for me. Think about the relationship, the understanding he must have had of the father to ask this ridiculous thing. See, David understood his connection to God was not based upon his religion or even his morality, but on his faith, which is a, that's right. David also knew he could never keep his obligations on that front. He knew he would never perform well enough, but that his odd, ridiculous confidence lies in the humility of recognizing that his just and right standing was a direct result of God being surety for him, 
co-signing for him. As a matter of fact, he understood this position of righteousness and justice that he had right in the midst of his biggest moral failures. When the prophet confronted him about Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, who he killed, in the midst of his failure, he knew he was just and right because God had co-signed for him. He said this in Psalm 51. It says, uh, For you do not like delight in sacrifice, or else I give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite, contrite heart. He knew that his religion was not the reason he was connected to God. He knew he was connected to God because he knew that he could never be good enough. So let's look at the theological. There's a lot here. So try to stick with me here. Jesus is our co-signer. I'm going to give you a legal, moral background and understanding why your salvation works. It's not just because, oh, he died and resurrected, so we're saved. No, there is an actual reason he had to die. The scripture says that being a pledge for good or a co-signer for someone is a serious one that often brings about pain. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 11:15, he who is surety for a stranger... By the way, we could also put in there family member, <laughs> best friend. He who is surety for anyone will suffer. <laughs> but one who hates being surety is secure. See, a lot of pastors and Christians teach, see, you should never co-sign for anyone. Well, that's not what the scripture is teaching here. What the scripture is teaching here is when you do co-sign, you're going to suffer pain and loss. But if you don't, you'll be secure. Jesus could have been secure. But Christ put up the security that he could have had for our relationship with God to be restored. And he was willing to suffer pain. He agreed to be our pledge for good, to pay the price that we would not be able to pay. And he suffered on the cross. What was that suffering? That the co-signer Jesus paid? Death. Suffering on the cross. And Paul describes this concept in many places in his letters. The first one is in Romans 6.23. For the price for sin, the wages for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what he says here? You have a bill to pay if you want heaven. And that is you've got to die. The problem is when you're dead, you're dead. But Jesus, through his death in our place, gives us Life. That's the first place Paul explains the idea of Jesus being surety, a pledge for good, a co-signer for us. There's another one. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin. Did you hear that? Who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is where David says, I've done just and I've done right. You know why he said that? Because he knew his righteousness was not his own. When he said, I am just and I'm right, he is saying, I possess, because God was a pledge of good for me, a cosigner, surety for me, my righteousness is actually the God of the universe's righteousness. Isn't that wild? I mean, talk about confidence. I am as righteous as God in the midst of me being a murderer. 
Then there's another one Paul explains. Philippians 3, 8, 9. Here's what Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from religion, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul explains this idea of somebody co-signing for you over, I could have had 10 more verses up there. Because we went 55 minutes last week, I decided to cut it back down to 30 this week, okay? So that's the, his, the theological concept I want to get for you. Now let's look at the devotional. What's the response to somebody co-signing for you? It's living in gratitude. There's a great example of this in the story of Onesimus. So let me just tell you who Onesimus was. There's a book called Philemon. It's one chapter. It is a letter from Paul to a guy named Philemon who was rich. <clears throat> And Philemon had this indentured servant who owed him a lot of money, who worked for him. This indentured servant's name was Onesimus. Onesimus one day stole a bunch of money and left. And by God's sovereign plan, he bumped into Paul. Paul led him to Christ, discipled him for a year, and said, you got to go back to Onesimus and make it right. But Onesimus says, Paul, I can't do that. I owe Onesimus thousands and thousands of shekels. I'll never be able to pay it back. I owe him so much money, it's ridiculous. Not only that, not only do I owe him money, I stole a bunch of stuff from him. He hates me. Paul says, don't worry. I got you. Look what Paul writes in Philemon, verses 17 to 20. To Onesimus, if you consider me a partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. In other words, when Onesimus walks in, treat him like you treat me, Paul. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, look at this, write this with my own hand. This is my signature. I will repay it. Just say nothing of you owing me your own self beside. Don't forget that, Onesimus. You owe me a lot, remember? I mean, Philemon, yeah, you owe me a lot. But when I send Onesimus back, what I'd like for you to do is just forgive him. I'll pay the debt. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, can you imagine... what Onesimus must have been feeling at that moment. Paul said, look, this is what I'm writing. I'm going to give you this letter. You go see Onesimus. The first thing you do is hand it to him. He'll read it. You see Philemon. He'll read the letter and you'll understand. Don't worry, Onesimus. I got you. He knew that the reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon would cost him money and he was willing to pay it. What a great picture of the love that Jesus had for us. I got to tell you, the day that I found out my grandfather was co-signing for me, I was overwhelmed with love for him. I mean, I loved him anyway. 
But it wasn't because I was getting a new car, but because I knew he stuck his neck out for me. I remember going down there and having this credit application. I said, I cook hamburgers at Steak and Shake. There's no way they're going to give me a car loan. My mom said, just submit it. All right. And they came back approved. I said, Mom, how did that happen? Did you co-sign? She goes, no, your granddad did. It was so humbling. I can imagine how Onesimus felt. It was so humbling. It motivated me to honor him with the trust and sacrifice that he had made for me. And when you recognize the tremendous gift given to us by Jesus as our pledge for good, our surety, our co-signer for righteousness, it transforms us from a life of self-fulfillment to a life of gratitude. So what does gratitude look like? According to the passage that we have today, verse 123, there's anticipation. He says, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Imagine having an understanding of grace and confidence in the righteousness of Jesus that has been transferred to us to the degree that you actually look forward to the judgment day? Imagine Onesimus when he realized he could go home. He didn't have to be afraid of Philemon anymore. Judgment is no longer a fear, but you see it as anticipation of the closing of a deal that you know will work out in your favor because your co-signer is there with you with your debt paid in full. Gratitude for your co-signer removes fear of him and makes you long to see him. The first thing I wanted to do is get in my 1986 Shelby Charger and get four speeding tickets on the way to Jacksonville, Florida to visit my granddad. <laughs> two tickets, two warnings. True story. It was a fast car. You know what else anticip- uh, gratitude looks like? Looks like wisdom. Verse 124 and 125. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. The responsibility that you are living within the benefits of someone else's good name, the righteousness of Jesus, it changes the way you interact with the world around you. You become less addicted to that world. And your decisions change. You begin to make choices based upon the word instead of your flesh. You are driven to know more about your cosigner. To know more about why he would do this. And you want to learn about this through his word. What else does gratitude look like? Values. Verses 126 to 128. Let me read it. It is time for you to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. Once you understand the cost to Jesus for co-signing for you, it transforms your value system. Your gratitude for Jesus manifests itself daily by what you deem precious in how you spend your time, 
how you spend your money because understanding Jesus co-signing for you impacts how you handle your money, by the way. It also impacts what you talk about in your conversations, on your social media accounts, and everything. The percentage of your conversation about what Jesus has done for you increases as you gain more knowledge and understanding of this pledge for good, this co-signing, this security. So I want to talk about my grandfather just a little bit more. So my grandfather, he was in the Coast Guard. He, he retired from the Coast Guard. Uh, he was the third man in my family in a row to be in the Coast Guard. My great-great-grandfather was one of the founders of the Coast Guard. And, and Cape Hatteras, there's a ship named after him. My great-grandfather was in the Coast Guard. There's a ship named after him. And my grandfather was in the Coast Guard. I'm the first person to have nothing to do with the military in my life, except loving it and those that serve. And I love telling people about my granddad because it was one of the most meaningful things he ever did to me. And look at this next picture. How could he not want a coastline for that kid? <laughs> that is a cute kid. <laughs> years and years of ministry is what happened. So. I had a special relationship with my granddad. And I love telling people about this because it was so meaningful. And why? Because I understood what it meant, why my granddad did it. As much as I loved my granddad and I was motivated to honor him, in the end, I defaulted on that loan. The car got wrecked. And there was no way I could pay the bill. Here's the problem. My granddad had died before this happened. So I had to bear the full burden of that responsibility. And it took me years to overcome that ding. See, had my grandfather been alive, he would have paid my debt. But he's just a man. And he died. Here's the difference between my grandfather and Jesus. Jesus died and resurrected. He conquered death and he paid our debt in full. He is the ultimate cosigner. If he has cosigned for your sin debt, if he has given you surety for righteousness, there is nothing the enemy can do to void that contract. As much as he wants to. You know why? Because our co-signer lives. He will never die. He will always be there to pay the debt that we owe. Here's the last thing I'll share with you. I was really motivated to honor my grandfather. The last thing that was going to happen was I was going to default on that loan. Because I love that man. But I'm human. Things happen. I lost jobs. I drove too fast in the rain. Stuff took place. And I was not able to pay my debt. That's us when we try to please God through religion. You can be as motivated as you want. You will not succeed. You better say, my righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus that he put in my name. 
because he co-signed for me. He was a pledge for good. He was surety. Thank God we have the ultimate co-signer. Dad, we just come to you. Ridiculous debt on our shoulders that we could never pay. By the gift of faith, you give us the audacity to ask to be a pledge of good for us. We're so thankful that we don't have to rely upon our religion. But we rely upon your work. And because of that. Please help us to live in gratitude for how you co-signed for our debt. In Jesus' name, amen.